All right, Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1. So we began last week to walk through the second letter that Peter is writing to the same group of people that he wrote, First Peter 2. They have some new issues that are different, probably two to three years later from what we understand. First issue, when he wrote to them, they were under tremendous persecution, and so the pressure on the church was from the outside. So two to three years later, he's writing to them again, uh, same group of people, and the pressure upon them and what they're dealing with is different. Before, it was from the outside, through the Roman government and through Nero. Now the issue is from within the walls of the church, because false teachers have come in and have begun to proclaim some things that were not true. And so Peter has a sense of urgency in his heart and wants to share with them uh, the importance of walking in right biblical doctrine. Look with me in verse 13 of chapter 1 just for a moment, and you'll see the sense of urgency that Peter has. Second uh, Peter 1, 13. Peter writes, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And so there's an urgency with Peter. Uh, Jesus told him, we already know that um, martyrdom was going to come his way, and now Peter is most likely in prison writing this letter, and he senses just the reality, my time is over with, and he wants to share one more thing with this group of people um, that he deeply loves. So we're going to, in case you were not here last week, and if you did not through the app or some other way listen to last week's talk, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review, and then we're just going to add one verse. We went from verse 1 to verse 3 last week, and we're just going to add verse 4 because uh, verse 4 is just full of stuff, and, and we need to fully understand things because you will not understand um, the heart of Second Peter, if you do not understand these first four verses, absolutely critical. Everything about our faith flows out of uh, these first um, four verses. So Peter, in chapter 1 of this second letter, establishes God's work of salvation. And he, he makes it clear this is what has been done for us. And then, starting not next week, but uh, two weeks from now, we will begin to look at Peter's call to our lives of now that you understand this salvation what's your responsibility as a believer in light of everything that's been done for you what's your responsibility and how um, to live and so we will look at those things let me just give one one reminder in case you were not here last week so arising at about in the 8060s um, in the first century was a new teaching that had begun to infiltrate inside the church and was really um, having a lot of negative influence. Uh, John wrote about it. If you've read uh, the book of 1 John, those five chapters there, John is addressing this issue. Uh, Paul is addressing some of this issue in the book of Colossians. And Peter is addressing this in Second Peter. There's a group of people called the Gnostics. Um, they believed in something that is known as Gnosticism. And at its basic, this is what Gnosticism was. The body is evil and bad. It's always going to do evil and bad. But the mind can be redeemed and can earn its way in salvation by its renewal and understanding through knowledge. If you get enough knowledge, you can get to the place where salvation can come. You can be rescued from your sin. The Gnostics taught that it was heavily influenced by, um, by Greek thinking. Here's what the Gnostics um, taught. 
and they spoke. The Most High Supreme God did not create the world, but a lesser God created the world. And when he created the world, because he was a lesser God, he created the world with imperfections. And so there was brokenness in the world, there was, you know, um, all kinds of heartache and death and things of that nature. And so because the Most High God had entrusted this to a lesser God to make this, um, the world is just evil and it's got all of this stuff that happens and takes place. Well, the problem with this is greatly many, many things, but one is, is it removes man's guilt before God. Um, if I'm born into a world that has been made by a lesser God and I can't help it that I'm just going to be this way because the world is just this way and it was made lesser, so I don't have to be responsible um, for myself. The other thing that it did is it made a mockery of the cross because the cross screams from the heart of God that there's something wrong with us, that we needed rescuing, and it makes a mockery of the cross and the sacrificial death of Jesus and his blood that was shed because it basically says in their thinking, um, I don't need that because what Jesus did on the cross would redeem my body, but it's not going to redeem my soul. The only way that I can redeem my soul is the renewal of my mind and working my way back through these demigods, demi-urges, these other gods, and I could work my way back, and I could eventually get to the Most High God, and then I could find salvation. So it was very works-oriented. So in the 80s, this began to be taught in churches. And so Paul has established all these churches. Peter has established all these churches. The apostles have gone a number of different places. And this began to become a prevalent thing that was putting pressure within the church. And so Peter is addressing this. And he's calling us to say this. If you know the reality of your salvation, you will know the reality of what Scripture teaches. And you will be able to recognize when somebody steps in and begins to teach something and say something that is not true, you can recognize it. And so in these first four verses, he's going to, um, he's going to just jam in a super deep amount, width, height, breadth, all this kind of stuff, amount of things that we need to see what has been done for us. And if we will see these things, it can bring a place of discernment for us in our lives. All right, so let's look. Second Peter chapter 1, and let's start looking at verse 1, verse one and then we're going to go down through verse 4. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, the promises, you may be become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Okay, let's begin to walk through this. Let me just briefly touch on this. And so let me bring us by review. If you are here last week, um, you're excited to hear this again, right? Are you excited? Come on now. Come on now. All right. If you weren't here, you're excited to hear this, right? Because it's all going to be new. So watch what Peter does here. He says, Simon Peter, he identifies himself. And with those two names, he says something very unique. Simon's his birth name. 
It's what his parents gave him. There were a couple of times Jesus spoke to him and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has, he, he wants to sift you like wheat. He's after you. There's another time Jesus called him Simon, and it was a reminder to him, sometimes Peter, I, I've transformed you into Peter, but sometimes you act like Simon. You live in your flesh, and you're, you're living out of your old ways. But then Peter also here says this, not, I'm not just Simon, but I'm Peter, because I've been transformed. I have come into a relationship with my God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he identifies his himself by saying this, I once was something and now I'm something else because of what God has done for me. And we're all that way if we know him, right? We once were lost, now we are found. We once were blind, now we see. Once we are dead, now we are alive. Once we lived in the kingdom of darkness, now we've been transformed, trans, transferred into the kingdom of light. And so this great thing has happened and taken place. And so Peter says, I'm Simon Peter. I'm Simon Peter. And then he speaks about his identity, and he uses two words. He says, I'm a servant, and I'm an apostle. I said last week that we have in the West, we have tried to tame this word down because of the evilness and the awfulness of slavery in our country. But a better translation should be, and your translation may have it, uh, ESV that I use, um, uses the word servant. The actual word should be bond slave or the word slave and it literally means a slave it means somebody who is owned and has to do the bidding of the master now I want you to watch this because I think this is beautiful what Peter's writing here Peter is likely in his 70s when he's writing this he's walked with Jesus physically on the earth spent about three and a half years with him and then he's also walked with Jesus spiritually after the ascension for about three decades now so somewhere around 80, 67, and he is writing uh, to this group of believers. And so for about 35 years or so now, he's been walking with Jesus. And he shares the thing that has come to identify his life more than anything. And I think it's incredibly significant. And this is what he says. He says, I've walked with Jesus for 35 years, and I'm a slave to him. He owns me because I recognize that he has done something for me that nobody could do. And I am so moved by it that my identity now is he's King Jesus. I'm a part of the kingdom. I'm a subject. I'm a servant. I'm a slave. And I'm going to do whatever it is that he wants me to do. I want to show you a couple places in Scripture that are fascinating. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians first. And then we're going to look at a verse in 2 Corinthians. So go to... First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 19 first, and just kind of get an idea of what uh, Paul's mindset was. It's the same mindset of what, what Peter is writing here, First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. So this is what Paul writes in the text. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. Stop here just for a second. I know you know this. I don't want to insult your intelligence. but Mark and I work up here. Martha's up here two days a week. This is not where God lives during the week in this building. We work up here. He's here. He's at your house. He's at your workplace. He's in your car. And the reason is, is because he's inside of us. So God doesn't live in a building anymore. He lives in a new house, which is his people. Praise his name for that. 
that he's inside of us, and we now have become temp- a temple where he lives. So look at 19 again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Look at 20. For you were bought with a price, and because of that, glorify God in your body. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So Paul establishes that. Peter's establishing this mindset. We were bought with a price. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him who has bought us, who has died for us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. Here's what Paul writes here. For the love of Christ controls us. That same idea controls us, has mastery over us. And because we have concluded, we have come to a conclusion that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those, <coughs> that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here again, Peter says it, Paul communicates it twice. Listen, Paul says, I've come to this conclusion I am gripped by the love of God because He has rescued me. And I recognize He's the only one who could die to satisfy what was missing in my life that animal sacrifices couldn't do. I was a Pharisee. I had memorized the law. All of my memorization, all of that was not enough. And I've concluded this. One died for all. Therefore, those of us who come to know Him, we have died. And then Paul says this, and I'm convinced of this, that those who have died should no longer live for themselves, but should live for Him who died for them. And so Paul and Peter both say this, listen, here's my identity. And they were totally good with it, and here's why they were good with it. Life away from God is not life. Life in God and life with God is life. And so they come to the conclusion, the more King Jesus has control of my life, and the more I surrender, the more life I get, and the more life I can experience. And so they'd come to the place where they just surrendered the rights and said, my identity is I'm a slave. I'm owned by God, and I'm so good with that because in that kind of relationship, not like an earthly slave-owner relationship because it's completely different with God because he knows exactly what he's doing, and everything that he does is absolutely good. And so as we surrender, we get more and more of his life. And so Peter says, I am a slave owned by him, And I'm an apostle. I've seen him before he died. I saw him after he came out of the grave. And then he sent me, if an apostle means, a sent one, sent. He sent me on his way, on my way, in his way, in his purposes to do the work. And so here's the reality. This is his identity. Peter wrote this. And he had come to an incredible conclusion, just as Paul had Surrender your life, surrender your life, and if you'll do so, you'll experience more and more of Him. So I have an illustration today, and we've kind of fixed it. We had a little bit of a crisis moment in the first service, but we've kind of got things fixed. All right, so I got some boxes today, and I want to talk about, as we walk through this verse, what has been done for us. So secondly, this morning, I want to talk about the person 
of our salvation and the purity of our salvation. So look what Peter says next if you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. So he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus, to those who have obtained, not attained, but obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's our first box, and we're going to stack a bunch of boxes together this morning. This is the foundation, if you know Jesus, this is the foundation of our lives. This is what Peter had come to conclude. This is what Paul had come to conclude, that there was nothing that you and I could do to remedy the separation that we had because of sin with God. So since we couldn't do anything about that, there was only one who had the power to do that, and that was God himself. And so last week, we talked about these big theological words, and we talked about a word that starts with an I. Who remembers what the word is? What is it? Imputation. Now what happened is, for a long time, the church had lost theology and had lost doctrine. And then people like Martin Luther came along and, and these guys came along and they were reformers and, and the, the Reformation happened and they, they kind of took back proper biblical theology that the Roman Catholic Church had, had control of and they began to use this Latin word called imputation. And the word means this. It's transferring something from one account into someone else's account. Now, we talked last week. Y'all better remember this. I'm going to get on to you. Is there just a single imputation? How many imputations are there? There's a double imputation. Now, I want you to see this in case you weren't here last week. And if you were, we need to hear it again because we forget about it. When Christ was on the cross, when He was on the cross, He was the only sacrifice that was going to satisfy the wrath of the Father about sin. And so when He was on the cross, all of man's sin got transferred from our account to His account. From our ledger to His ledger. So he's hanging on the cross. He becomes sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Glorious verse. So all of that in our account got transferred here. Now there's another great Bible word. When our sin got placed into his account and he bore our sin in his body and it's called propitiation. I'm not going to make you say that like I made you say imputation last week. Let me tell you what propitiation means. So as our sin was imputed upon Jesus, he also became the propitiation of our sin, which means this, wrath bearer. So when the scripture speaks about he became the propitiation for our sin, that God the Father had all of his wrath on us because we were enemies, he transferred his wrath to his son. But then when you and I come to salvation, guess what happens? All of our sin has been transferred to Him. That's single imputation. Double imputation is this. In faith, all of His righteousness gets moved from His account into our account. And that's glorious. 
And that's why the foundation of our faith is the righteousness of Christ. It's not, did I do enough? Am I good enough? I, I, I hope and wish, pray, I don't know if wish is a biblical word, whatever the word is, that we could get to the place where we just settle it, that salvation has nothing to do with us. Nothing. But it has everything to do with what he did. So he bore the wrath, satisfied the Father, sin got transferred, our sin got transferred on him. He, in, in salvation, we get his righteousness. And I'm going to stack all of these things at the foot of the cross. So here's what Peter says. You have obtained, obtained, again, obtained, not attained. You have obtained a salvation, a faith, a salvation that's equal with mine. I'm the Apostle Peter, and my salvation is not greater than yours. We are equal standing, and here's why. I got the righteousness of Christ, and your salvation, you get the righteousness of Christ. So we are at equal standing in regard to our faith. And so Peter wants us to get this and to see it. The foundation of our faith is not our works. It's not our goodness. It is everything that He has done and He has granted to us. Now, in the midst of that, once we come to know Him by faith, there is a pleasure that comes to our life and it is connected to knowing Him. So it's connected to knowing Him. Christ. And so that's the next thing that, that Peter writes here in verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Watch, watch, because people do this. You'll meet people, if you're someone who shares your faith or somebody finds out you're a believer and they may say something to you like this. Well, you know, the Bible never says that Jesus is God. Yes, it does in First Peter, in Second Peter 1 2. Peter writes here, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So Peter affirms here, Jesus is Lord, God, He is God. Now once we come to know Him, our sin, He's taken our sin, we get His righteousness, we're now in a relationship with Him. There is a call now in this relationship to seek to know Him. To not one of those things... The Bible doesn't tell us, pray a prayer and then just stop and do nothing. But, but the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that, this transaction happens and takes place. We're transferred in the kingdom of God. And here's what happens. We now want to seek Him and pursue Him to know Him. And so in the knowledge of Him, Peter says, things get Stacked up, built up, multiplied, added, over and over multiplied. Two really important things. First one is grace. Second one is peace. So Peter says, listen, equal standing. We're all, we're all into the kingdom on Jesus' righteousness, not on anything that we have done. He's done it all. We all have the same equal standing. And once that happens and takes place... We begin to know Him, seek Him, live in obedience to Him. And as we do so, He is so good, He gives more grace. How about grace here? Let me give you some grace here. Peace, 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 grace, 
peace, peace, grace, and he multiplies it. And he multiplies it. And I believe spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. Partly it does. But I think spiritual maturity has everything to do with knowing God. Do you remember what Paul said to the young pastor Timothy? Do not let anybody look down on you because you're what? Because you're young. So I, I think you can be 25 and really incredibly spiritually mature. Now maybe you don't know because of life experience, some things that somebody who's older, but I think you can be unbelievably spiritually mature because being spiritually mature has nothing to do with years. It has everything to do with, am I pursuing God and walking in obedience with God? And when Peter uses the word knowledge, he's not talking about, let's memorize a bunch of facts. So I'm memorizing 2 Peter like I memorized 1 Peter. And I'm not memorizing because I want a bunch of facts. I'm memorizing it because on a Thursday afternoon, something's going to happen in my life one day, and I need God's Word to come out of my life and to deal with whatever it is that's there. And the only way it can become present in our lives is to know God's Word. So when Peter talks about knowing, it talks about knowing God, not because you have a bunch of facts, because you've walked with Him and you know that the Word is true. Now let me give a couple examples in regard to these two words that are multiplied Grace and peace. Let's talk about grace for a moment. Have you ever met somebody or have you ever gone through this and you can understand this? That in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their struggle, they don't look at their lives and say this. See, grace is the unmerited favor of God in our lives. We didn't merit it. We didn't get it. It's just given to us. And so when the pain comes in their life through a health issue or a relationship something or a loss of a job or whatever the case may be and those believers don't do this okay I well I've lost God's favor God's removed his favor from my life you know what those believers do they believe that because of this this is the only place what happened here and what was done here where the ultimate favor of God is seen and understood So life here is going to have pain, it's going to have struggle, and when those moments come, it doesn't mean God has removed his favor from us, and a person of deep maturity comes to a place where they recognize that this world can do all kinds of stuff, but God's favor is with me still. It hasn't changed. And then there's the word peace that's multiplied, and a spiritually mature person will be this way, and I marvel at these people, they move me deeply crisis comes, cancer comes, whatever it is, and there's a contentedness in that person's life to continue to trust in God, and as they continue to trust in God, there's a peace that settles into their life. This word peace here in the Greek doesn't mean absence of war, it means wholeness, fullness, Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4? I have learned the secret of contentment. I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to not have anything. I know what it's like to have plenty. I know what it's like to be in in need. And here's what I've learned, that I can do all things. Watch this. We're going to hear this word all a lot today. I can do all things through Christ. Do what? Who strengthens me. We love to quote Philippians 4.13, but you've got to put it with 10 through 13 because it's connected to contentedness. So 
foundation of our life is what He has done. Now we come into a relationship and we want to know Him, so we walk in obedience. And as we walk in obedience, He multiplies grace and peace, and there's a pleasure that is connected to it. And then the next thing that He does is that we have been given, and He does all this through His power. So look at the next verse there, verse 3. His divine power, Peter says, has granted something to us. His divine power. So the, this is the first of two things that Peter's going to write about here in these first four, four verses of what God grants to us. And so it is God's power, hear me, it is God's power that brings us into the kingdom. It's not my intellect, it's not my goodness, it's not I've been baptized, it's not my parents are strong believers. Um, It's not anything like that. His mighty power was able to take people like you and I who are dead enemies of God and gloriously through His power, we breathe, we're alive. We're in the family now, adopted, and now we say, Daddy, Abba, Father, I'm adopted. He runs down the road like he did with the prodigal son. He brings us into the kingdom. He does all of the work and his divine power is, the, is all the sufficiency that you and I need for life. So let me read a few verses. Just, just bear me out here for a moment. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.4, Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but it came to you in power, power. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think, or think according to the power that is at work within us. Now I want to take you back to a Friday afternoon 2,000 years ago. And the Son of God, the eternal God, who never had a beginning and will never have an end, he had come here to earth and he had skin on, and they'd flayed his body, and they put three nails in his body and they hung him on a tree. And on that Friday afternoon, he looked up to the skies and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he became the propitiation He became the expiation, which means he satisfied the demand. He's the one who made things right, made us right to be able to do that. He became the wrath bearer. Sin got transferred into his account. And in that moment, an earthquake happened. Y'all remember that? And in Jerusalem, at that moment, listen to the power that happened at the moment of the cross. What happened at the temple curtain? Holy of Holies, torn in two. You know why it was torn in two and opened up? That's not necessary because the Holy of Holies is out hanging on a tree outside the city. And that's how you're going to enter in. You're not going to have one person once a year enter in. Now everybody gets to enter in who comes to know him. In case that wasn't enough, watch this. It says, Matthew records that the earth and the rocks split open. 
the geography of Jerusalem changed that day when Jesus was on the cross. In case that's not enough to indicate the power of what happened at the cross. Dead people that are called saints of the Old Testament, what happened to them? They came alive. The graves opened. And these dead saints from the Old Testament walked around Jerusalem. And Matthew records, they talked to people. That's how powerful that was. In case that's not powerful enough, you have the simplicity of a centurion standing there. And he looked around and he saw this. And he said, that's the Son of God right there. That's the Son of God. And so, so Peter is saying, get this. Not your righteousness, His righteousness. And once you get His righteousness, you want to know Him, walk in obedience to Him, and He multiplies grace and peace into your life. And when He does that, He does this great work. He does it by His power. His power does the work. You don't do it. He does the great work. And because of His great power, then Peter says, here's what He does he, once you come to know Him, there are privileges that come into your life because of this. And that's why Peter says in the next verse, he says, or in that same verse, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through Him. So look, look what it says there. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of of him. Now let me just share a few things from the scripture. John 1 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John 3 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into the Son's hand. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Matthew 19, 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, hey, with man, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father. Listen to these. These are great words. From whom are all things and for whom we exist. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all, watch this, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Listen to this again, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Watch, Peter and Paul are saying the same thing. Do you see that? Grace and peace multiply to you. Now Paul's saying, God is able to make grace, all grace abound to you. Then he says this, so that having all sufficiency, everything that's sufficient for life, all sufficiency in all things, Paul says, at all times. When we sleep, when we're awake, when we're jogging, when we're sitting in here, when we're singing, when we're playing music, when we are working, when we are eating, Everything we need at all times, at all moments, everything is connected to the one who has control of all things. In case that is not enough, let me affirm a few more things. Psalm 84, 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Listen, no good thing does He withhold. 
And in case you don't think I'm excited, I'm really excited about the next one. Gosh, listen to this. Romans 8, I think, is one of the most significant chapters in the whole New Testament. Oh, love Romans 8. Listen to these words. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Watch. Will he not also with him, who did not spare his son for us, will he not with the son graciously give us all things? Here's what Paul is saying. If God didn't spare his own son, which is the greatest thing he could do for us and give to us, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Now watch with me. Our sin transferred into his account. His righteousness transferred into our account. So that the foundation of our life is the righteousness of Christ. We now know Him. His power has done the work. We haven't done it. The privileges of salvation are that He has given you and I everything we need for life and godliness. So if you're in the room today and you're wondering, am I, can I become the husband or the wife that the Bible speaks about? Absolutely. You know why? Because He has given us all things we need for life and godliness. Can I, will I ever have the business integrity that I've wanted to always have? Kind of wrestle with that about taxes or whatever the case may be. So can I find the freedom for that? Can I find the freedom to get away from my addiction? I've always struggled reading the Bible. Is there ever going to be a time in my life where I'm not going to struggle reading the Bible? Well, here's, here's all I know about all of those things. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. All things are in His hand. All things are made for Him and by Him. And He, He who loved you and I so much gave His eternal Son. And if He gave His Son, Paul says, will He not also... If he gives you the greatest thing he could give you, will he not also with him graciously give you all things? And he's asking the question to say this, to make us go, no, he's not going to with, if he's willing to give Jesus, he's willing to graciously give all things. That's amazing today. To get that and to know that, everything that pertains to life. I think Peter's talking about eternal life. And when he talks about godliness there, he's thinking, talking about, I think he's talking about being able to obey God in this life. But here's the problem. Here's our problem. We, sadly, don't believe that that's enough. Because here's what we do. I've met Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian after Christian. And they're looking for some new experience. They're looking for some new trip. They're looking for some new cool show. Oh, man, if Chris Tomlin would just come out with another album, man, I could, could make it through the week okay, you know? That music would just... And I hope he writes more music or David Crowder, whoever it is. We're looking for some new further revelation. We're looking for some new feeling. We're looking for some new speaker. 
We're looking for some new philosophy. And God from heaven is saying, am I not enough? Am I not enough? I have given you all things and I proved it because I gave my son. And so along with him, as he bore your sin and brought you into the kingdom, will we, me as the loving father, will my son who is loving and who proved it by laying his life down for you, will we not, have we not given you every single thing that you need? And I think gratefulness should just grip us. Should just grip us. And I'm so thankful that when I came into the kingdom of God, I was 17 years old. And he didn't tell me that night, good luck. I spent all my power just getting you into the kingdom. So good luck the rest of your life. But on a Sunday night in Waco, Texas, I believed by faith in Jesus. He opened my eyes and I saw him. And in that moment, not only did he rescue me, but he gave me everything I needed for the rest of my life. And so the problem is not him, because he's given all things. The problem is us appropriating what we have already been given. You see, we're equipped already for the, for the entire journey. And it's come to us because of this. Only one could do the work And if you're worried about that, it's going to lean against the cross, okay? Um, we had this crisis earlier today. Look at, look at three and four. We were in the last part of three and the first part of four. Who called us to his own glory and excellence. Look at the first part of four. By which, by which what? You've got to go back. By which his glory and his excellence, his perfections. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. All right, so look with me. He's done the work. He bore our sin. He's given his righteousness. We've come into a relationship. We want to know him. As we know him and walk with him, he multiplies grace and peace. His divine power has given us everything we need. These great privileges, everything we need for life and godliness. And then, he, and then Peter says in the first part of four there, by which, pointing back to, who called us to his own glory and excellence. So it's the perfections of God, the perfections of God, the perf- his perfect attributes that he's holy, he's righteous, he's all mercy, he's all this, he's all that, he's, he's everything. The perfections of God has granted to us something else. And here's what he's granted to us. He has granted to us his promises. And that's what Peter says in the next verse. Look with me there in the next part. Look at verse 4. By which, by the by which again, going back to his glory, he's called us to his own glory and excellence. He has granted to us, second time, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature now look up here if you're going to know him how do you how in the where do you go to know him 
Is there not just one place to really go, right? What do you know God's like? Well, the scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament tells us what he's like. And so watch this. So not only has he given us everything we need for life and godliness, but through his perfections, he has spoken. And when he speaks, it's perfect. And when he spoke, he's promised all kinds of awesome things. And he will not go against his nature. So whatever he has said he's going to do, guess what he's going to do? He's going to do that very thing. So if he told us, if you come into a relationship with me, you are mine, eternally secure, then we are going to be what? Eternally secure. If he's promised us he's going to give us peace, we're going to. If he's promised us the gift of heaven, what's going to be ours? It's going to be the gift of heaven. If he has promised to forgive, he is going to forgive. And so not only has he granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness, but through his perfections, his glory and his excellence that he's called us to himself through his glory and excellence, he has now granted to us his promises. And every bit of the promises... Watch, are connected to this reality who hung here. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writing again to this church, and they didn't get it, so they needed a second really long letter. He's writing to them, and he writes to them in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, and he says this, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed to you when we were among you, Silvanus did it, Timothy did it, I did it, and when we talked about Jesus, this is what we told you. When we spoke about him, it wasn't yes and no about Jesus, but in him, it was always yes. Watch this, and then Paul writes this, for all of the speaking of God, the promises of God, all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. In Him. So if you and I are going to know that God is going to fulfill everything that He said, then we've got to know His Word. And we've got to know this, that every time God speaks something in the Word, every time God has said something in the Word, it is absolutely going to come true. Every single bit of it, all of it, we can bank on it, We can trust in it. Every promise God has made in his word, he will faithfully keep and fulfill, not because we are awesome, but because he cannot and will not deny himself. But I have a question for us as we wind this down. Do you and I think that the promises of God are sufficient enough for us? You see, the scriptures have become the tool for us that God has given so that you and I can see in black and white who God is, how we ought to live our lives. And, and I'm going to say something that's not meant to offend. Um, I just want to be clear. For almost 2,000 years, you know what the church used for all of its counseling? You know what's happened in our day and time? Psychology has taken over. And I'm not against counseling, but I'm against counseling that doesn't point people to the Bible. 
And I'm here today to say to you that if he has given to us all things we need for life and godliness and he has given us his precious and very great promises, then we have been given everything we know and everything that we need to live our lives. So I would encourage you, if you get counseling, don't go to psycho babble place. Go to a counselor that's going to point you to the scripture. I will meet with you anytime you want to meet, anywhere you want to meet. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you to do. I'm going to tell you to look at this, and I'm going to point us to this, because um, God has given us one thing, one thing that we can know for sure, and that is that when he spoke, that his promises are going to come true. And he's done the great work. And so we want to trust him in regard to that. Trust that his word is absolutely sufficient because the Bible is enough. It is enough. All right, we've got two more boxes. So Peter says, and I'm going to lean all this stuff against the cross because that's where it ought to go. So he says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may partake of, taste, experience, live in the divine nature of God. Listen to what Peter's saying. The word of God is the destination to lead us to share in the life of Christ. To share in his life. And partaking means that we change, we don't stay the same. And so it's through the Scripture, it's through the Scripture that we begin to partake of and experience the divine nature of God. And lastly, all of this work that has been done on the cross has been done His righteousness leads us to know Christ as we seek to know Him. Grace and peace are multiplied. His power has done the work. In this, the privileges of salvation have come to us. We've been given all things we need for life and godliness. And then He's called us to His own glory and His own excellence. And out of that by which He has granted to us from His excellencies His promises In Christ, all of the promises are yes and Jesus are not. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. It just depends on the mood of God that day. No, it has nothing to do with that. They all have their yes in Him. And as we follow the truth of God's Word and the promises, we partake, we we live the life of Jesus. Watch this if you've never connected it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. Guess who the promises are? Jesus. The word is Jesus. And so when we walk in the promises, guess whose life we're living? His life. And I tell you, you want to live his life. I do. Because when I take over, boy, I I can mess it up royally. And when we do this, God provides a way to rescue us and there's an escape from the trappings of this world 
in all of its sinfulness. And so Peter says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of evil or sinful desire. So there's two ideas with our escape. There's one in salvation. In salvation, we are rescued. Our sin's been granted to Jesus. He's given us our righteousness. Uh, we no longer have to be enslaved to our sin. But then there's also a, a, an escape in regard to sanctification, that there is an opportunity now to not have to be enslaved to our past. This word corruption means d- decay, falling apart, and I think we have to ask the question, is this just dreamland that Peter's writing about here, or is this true? Can all of this actually be true for you and I? Or is that just Forrest Gump land? Made up stories. And I think it's all absolutely true. And it's why I'm passionate right now. I'm excited right now. And it's because of this. Because I, I can't find that anywhere out there. I, I, 53 years I've lived here. I can't find that anywhere else. I've only found it at the cross. Where he who did not spare his own son, will he not graciously along with him give you all things? He's the promise. He's the power. He's the privilege. He's the righteousness. He allows us to know him. He's the escape. He allows us to partake. And that's why I can't stop You can't stop. We can't stop saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He is it. All of the promises are yes in Him. So why point ourselves somewhere else? If they're all yes in Him, everything that we long for, that thing that we wake up in the middle of the night, whatever it is, and you can't go back to sleep and we stress over it, In that moment, He's the promise to bring rest. That He who gave Himself and gave His Son, gave Himself, will they not graciously give us all things at 3.30 a.m. in the morning? And if He's not real then, He can't be real. Because in the dark night of the soul is when we know that He's good and that He can be trusted. So, is all that true? Well, I think it is. And I've staked my life on it. But it's hard here, isn't it? (laughs) Divorce, depression, sickness. Just on and on it goes. But there's an ultimate promise of freedom. Can I, do you mind if I remind you of it as we close? I don't care if you do mind, but anyway. Beloved, beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him who is the promises of God, they're all yes in him. He who hopes in him thus purifies himself. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Behold, I want to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, thus comes to pass the saying, the promise that is written, that is yes in him, thus the saying that has been written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? And, O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. Expiation, propitiation, imputation, imputation this way. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your work, your life, your living, your obedience, your labor, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. It's worth every minute. It's worth every pursuit. It's worth every single thing. Peter saying this, if we don't, Get this, then we're going to miss the rest of it. Because everything flows out of this. Everything flows out of this. Is that not glorious? Just makes me want to lay down right there in a moment when we sing. Y'all think I might be weird, but I just, I just want to say to him, my heart's yours. It belongs to you. I want to be your slave. And I want to do what you want me to do because it's there I find life. There I find life. So here's what I've done today, two weeks. I've told you the greatest thing that I can ever tell you. I can't tell you anything greater. I can't. I can't. Peter can't tell us anything greater. And he saw that he was about to die, and he said, I got one more shot at these people in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And now that false teaching was coming in, he said, I got to tell you, everything flows out of this. It all flows out of this. So when we're done here, you can come take a picture later. Put it on your phone. Put it on your wallpaper of your phone. Because everything, we get this out of line, then we're going to think that the rest of our life is about us too. And it's not. It's about Him. It began with Him. He sustains us. He's bringing us to Him. Okay.
That's probably enough, huh? Praise his name. Praise his name. Let's pray.